world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. Murder Diaries patrons heard this episode first because they get early access to our regular episodes. And guess what? Those episodes are now ad-free. Our patrons also get a bonus episode every month. You can find cases like Nicole Brown Simpson and the Watts Family Murders on our Patreon feed. By becoming a patron, you can also get a shout out in an episode. So what are you waiting for? Head over to patreon.com slash the Murder Diaries pod and become our newest patron today. You can also become a patron by clicking the link in our show notes. We'll see you there. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. The case I have for you today is in desperate need of media coverage. That's because 52-year-old Deanne Warner is still missing. She vanished from her Franklin Township home without a car, her passport, or any money after an argument with her husband. Authorities and her loved ones have tirelessly searched for Dee over the course of the year and a half she's been missing, but there hasn't been any sign of her. Police suspect foul play and her four adult children agree, pointing fingers at the man who vowed till death do us part. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. It's Sunday, April 25th, 2021, and Raquel Bach has just arrived at her mother's home along with her boyfriend and their children. Raquel's looking forward to a hearty breakfast with her mom, Dee, her stepdad, and her half-sister. This casual gathering has become a weekly tradition for the busy family. It's a way for them to spend time with one another before the busy work week starts. Ask anyone and they'll tell you Dee's most coveted roles in life are that of mom and grandmother. So it's no surprise she enjoys these slow Sunday mornings with her kids. Together, they typically cook eggs, bacon, toast, the whole nine yards. And when they've finished eating, Dee and Raquel take the kids to do the grocery shopping for the rest of the week. However, this morning is different. The normally lively house is too quiet. It soon becomes obvious nobody's home and Raquel's left wondering where Dee, her stepdad, Dale, and little sister Angelina could be. Dee and Raquel saw each other just the day before at a soccer game, and there was no mention of canceling or moving the meal to a later time, so it's odd that her mom isn't here. But Raquel assumes something came up, and the three of them, Dee, Dale, and Angelina, must be together. She doesn't speculate further because by now her kids are starting to get hungry, her boyfriend's hungry, and she's hungry. Instead of waiting, Raquel takes the initiative and starts cooking, figuring her mom will be back sooner or later. It is her house after all. Some people might say coffee doesn't need chocolate, but you're not some people. You're a dreamer. You see the possibilities of chocolate and caramel flavors swirling together with cold brew, topped with velvety chocolate cold foam and cocoa caramel crumbles. That imagination can only be rewarded with Dunkin's new caramel chocolate cold brew. It's a cold brew dream come true. 
America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. In the meantime, Raquel texts Dee letting her mom know that she's at the house and has already started preparing the food. But as she puts the bread in the toaster and the eggs sizzle on the pan, Raquel looks out the kitchen window and notices something unexpected. Both of Dee's vehicles are on the multi-acre property. The Hummer is parked in the garage while the other vehicle is right outside the office building about 100 feet away or so. This takes Raquel by surprise. The assumption is that Dee is at the office because Raquel knows her mom's not in the house and this is Franklin Township. It's a rural farming community in southeastern Michigan. It's mostly stretches of fields and farms. You need a car to get around. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. So if these cars there at the office, then that's where she must be. That's exactly what Raquel is thinking. And she has no reason to think otherwise. The whole situation is still odd to Raquel, who's left wondering. If Dee's at the office, like Raquel assumes, why wouldn't she pop in the house and let her daughter know that she's busy? Raquel then sends her mom yet another text and... When Dee doesn't answer that one either, Raquel decides to call. But instead of ringing, the phone goes straight to voicemail, stopping Raquel in her tracks. This is unprecedented. Dee never, never turns off her phone. She's a serious businesswoman who owns multiple lucrative companies worth millions of dollars. And she is a mother of five. She can't afford to not answer her phone, let alone have it turned off or out of battery. So Raquel races to the office building, hoping against hope to find Dee sitting at her desk. But we wouldn't be talking about her on the murder diaries if that were the case. Instead, the office is empty, not a soul in sight, and the seriousness of the situation finally hits Raquel, who would later tell the Dateline Missing in America podcast, this is the moment her gut told her something was really wrong. It's not long before the phone calls start. Raquel and her three adult siblings reach out to everyone, friends, family, acquaintances, who may have had contact with Dee, hoping someone knows what's going on. Because as far as Raquel knows, three people are missing at this point. Dee, Dee's husband slash Raquel's stepdad, Dale, and her nine-year-old half-sister, Angelina. And things just aren't adding up. Dee's a major social butterfly who's in frequent communication with her loved ones. So to suddenly go off the grid, that's completely out of character for her and screams red flag. On top of that, her entire immediate and extended family lives within a couple miles of one another. If she had gone somewhere or needed help of some kind, she would have told someone. One of those family members is Dee's older brother and across the street neighbor. Like I said, they all live super close to one another. Well, her brother, Greg Hardy, quickly learns that the family is looking for Dee. He later admits he initially wasn't worried, but still called and texted her to check in. But when he doesn't receive an answer after a couple hours, he's surprised. He knows his sister is a busy woman, 
However, she always, always has time for him. In fact, he told Josh Mankiewicz from the Dateline Missing in America podcast that, quote, it wouldn't be unusual for Dee not to take someone's call if she were busy and didn't want to talk to them. But I don't think there's ever been a time she didn't take my call. Even just say, hey, I'm tied up. I'll call you back. This seems like a really sweet brother-sister relationship and like they were always in contact. Despite their 18-year age gap, the two shared a really special sibling bond. Dee admired Greg and seemed to look up to him as a business mentor, often asking for his advice. And the feelings seemed to be mutual, at least in my opinion. There's a ton of clips of Greg talking to the press about his sister since her disappearance. And I urge everyone to go watch one. There's a few linked in the show notes. So you really get the drift of what I'm saying. He's a straight shooter, but it's evident how much he adores and misses his baby sister. But I don't want to get too much on a tangent about Greg and how much he loves his sister. Let's get back to our timeline. The day is still Sunday, April 25th, but it's been hours since the unofficial search for D began. And as the sun starts to set, Dale finally reaches out to Raquel, asking if she has seen or heard from D because she isn't answering any of his calls. According to Raquel, the conversation is short, but the more Dale talks, the bigger the pit in her stomach grows. This entire time, she assumed Dee and Angelina were with Dale, but now he's telling her that's not the case. As she's trying to reconcile this new information, he explains he knows where Angelina is. She was picked up the night before by a family friend and slept over at their house. Information Raquel later confirms to be true. As for Dee, though, Dale says he has no idea where she could be. Last time he saw Dee, she was asleep on the couch as he left for work at 6.30 Sunday morning. Raquel's worries mount and she presses her stepfather for more information. Why was Dee sleeping on the couch? Why is Angelina with her friend, etc.? Dale simply says, well, she's mad at me again and she's leaving for good. The call ends and Raquel's left with more questions than answers. The most pressing of those questions is, if her mom really did leave like Dale is saying, why didn't she take Angelina with her? Growing up, Raquel experienced her fair share of Dale and Dee's toxic relationship. Resources indicate there were past episodes of domestic abuse and instances of stalking. And Dee talked openly about divorcing Dale for almost the entire 15 years of their marriage, often packing bags and her children into her car before driving to her brother's house to stay for a few nights. Things would cool down between the couple and Dee along with the kids would move back into the house until it would inevitably happen again. The point I'm trying to make is Dee's number one priority is and always has been her children. Every single time she's ever left Dale, she's taken her kids with her. So why would that change this time? Why would she disappear and leave her young daughter at a friend's house? Don't take it from me though. This is what Raquel had to say in her own words during her conversation with Josh Mankiewicz. Quote, it was a huge red flag to me that if my mom left, she would have taken my little sister. Anytime my mom has ever left, she's always taken her. And when I was younger, she always took me. She never left us. Despite their growing list of questions, Raquel and one of her brothers, who isn't named in any of the articles, now have a timeline to work off of. If Dale says Dee was home when he left at 6.30 a.m. and Raquel got to the house at 9 a.m., 
then it gives them a place to start. The siblings meet at their mother's office and go through the farm surveillance footage minute by minute. It's a pretty large property and there's cameras at almost every angle of the house and office buildings, but it doesn't matter. They're determined to find their mom. So what did they find? That's the thing. They didn't find anything. There's no evidence of D on the property after 7.42 p.m. on Saturday, April 24th, let alone leaving on the 25th like Dale claims. They see Dale on the cameras, not D though. And I know you're probably wondering how they came up with such a specific time, 7.42 p.m. Well, that's when D's friend, Amy Alexander, arrives to pick up Angelina for the sleepover. And it also happens to be the last time Dee's seen on camera. So that part of Dale's story is proven to be true. They just can't prove Dee left the property on her own. Local authorities and the FBI would later obtain this footage. And they too didn't find anything that, quote, jumped out at us as far as being able to definitively prove anything one way or the other. We know her cars are at the house, but what about her phone or any other personal items? Nobody can find her phone, purse, makeup bag, and curling iron. Dale insists Dee took them with her, and if she really did leave on her own accord, she probably has them. But that's highly unlikely. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. The situation is looking more and more like foul play to Raquel and her siblings at this point in Dee's disappearance. And as it turns out, all of the items are still missing to this day. Dale eventually returns home that night and Greg's waiting for him, along with Dee's four adult children. Ever the protective big brother, Greg confronts Dale, demanding to know what the hell happened here. Dale tells a similar story to the one he shared with Raquel over the phone hours earlier, except this time there's more details. Dale claims that the night before, Saturday, April 24th, he and Dee were involved in a horrible business-related argument with one or two of their employees. None of the resources can agree on whether it was just one or two. Well, we don't know the exact reason for the dispute. The Disappeared documentary vaguely states that prior to Dee's disappearance, poor business choices were made and Dee felt as if she had to fix them. Furthermore, Raquel, Greg, and the rest of the family eventually hire a private investigator named Billy Little. This investigator claims Dee's trucking company that she solely owned financed about a million dollars in losses for Dale's agricultural business, a company that he 100% owned in his name. But again, I want to reiterate, we don't know what this specific fight was about. Could it have been about the $1 million bailout? Absolutely. However, I'm not going to go on the record stating it as fact. The couple then continued the argument at home, at least according to Dale. Dee was incredibly upset, but somehow the two worked it out before the end of the night, and Dale even claims he gave his wife of 15 years a back massage. So she ended up falling asleep on the living room floor. 
She'd had a rough night and he didn't want to wake her to go to their room. So he picked her up and put her on the couch around 10.30 p.m. before heading to the bedroom on his own. The next morning, Sunday, April 25th, Dale says Dee was still asleep snoring on the couch when he left at 6.30, a few hours before Raquel and her family arrived for breakfast. Dale then insists Dee must have taken off while he was at work because she was long gone when he returned to find her wedding ring on his desk without a note, a gesture he took to mean their marriage was over. Dale actually has Dee's ring in his pocket during this conversation with Greg, who claims his brother-in-law pulled it out only to bounce it up and down in the palm of his hand like a golf ball. Even with the added details, none of this makes sense to Greg or Raquel, who ask where Dee would have possibly run away to or how she would have done that without a car, her passport, or any money. Dale simply repeats that Dee left on her own accord, adding she possibly headed to Mexico or Jamaica with another man richer than him. There's a great exchange between the family's private investigator, Billy Little, and Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz about this aspect of Dale's story. And I'm kicking myself because I can't include the audio for legal reasons. However, I can still read it to all of you. Here's what they had to say, starting with Billy Little. He said, well, she's probably in Mexico or Jamaica. He also said at one point that she must have run off with a guy who had more money than him because she was so into the money thing. But no suggestion about who that might be. He also said that she might run off with this man, this unknown man who had more money with her and gone to Australia. To which Josh Mankiewicz responds, no evidence that Dee ever went to Jamaica or Mexico or Australia for that matter, because she would have had to use her passport and she didn't. And finally, Billy Little confirms the exchange by simply saying, correct. I'm sure by now it's clear to our listeners that the family doesn't believe a word coming out of Dale's mouth, because Dee would never skip town without telling someone or leave Angelina, her nine-year-old daughter, at home. Greg advises his nieces and nephews contact the authorities immediately, and they give Dale the opportunity to file the missing person's report himself. But he simply isn't concerned about his wife's disappearance. Instead of filing a report, Dale brushes off the suggestion and insists he'll do it at a later time, according to Raquel, who later told Dateline the following, Quote, we spoke to Dale and we said, we think it's time that you should report her missing. And he said, I'll do it in the morning after I take Angelina to school. And so we decided that wasn't enough for us. So we left. We went to my brother's house and called and reported her missing. Once the call to the authorities is made, it's not long before a deputy from Lenaway County Sheriff's Office arrives at Dee and Dale's house and an official missing persons report is filed by her children. We knew he wanted to wait to file that report, but I'm curious if the officers even spoke to Dale. Dale did talk to the authorities. He even told the deputy the same story he told Greg and Dee's kids. And the officer found the situation to be unbelievable as well, especially the fact that Dee's cars were still on the property. Like I mentioned earlier, there's truly no way to get around the area without one. So the next day, a detective follows up with Dale and the rest of the family, then starts poking around the house, hoping to find something, anything of note. No luck, though, on that end. The detectives then quickly determined that the last people to see Dee before her disappearance were the family friend who had picked up Angelina for the night and then Dale, Dee's husband. As the news of Dee's disappearance spreads, the town is shaken to its core. It's the biggest story to break there in years. 
not only because it's a quiet farming community where things like this just don't happen, but also because of the people involved. Both Dee and Dale's families are major players in the Michigan farming world, having been in this area for up to five generations, with some resources even referring to them as dynasties. As the gossip around town picks up, so do the searches. Helicopters, drones, dogs, and ground-penetrating radar are used to canvas Dee and Dale's acres of farmland. Dale initially consented to the searches, but unfortunately, that didn't last long. Because within two hours of the initial search, Dale revoked his consent and told everyone to leave and return with a warrant under the guise that he needed to get back to work. And look, that's his right, but as Greg told him, all eyes are on him since he's the husband of a missing woman. It took a few hours for a judge to sign the warrant and to get the searchers back together, so it was dark by the time they returned to the farm that evening. In one of the interviews, Greg mentions that he could see the search from his own farm across the way, and he laments the fact that the evening's darkness inhibited the initial probe of the grounds. I can't imagine the frustration he must have felt, because all of us know how integral those first 48 hours of a person's disappearance are. And in the end, investigators didn't find anything. And I wonder, did it have anything to do with the fact that they were searching in the dark? If they didn't find anything, what was their next plan? According to Sheriff Troy Beviar of Lenawee County, the detectives subpoenaed Dee's bank account statements, medical and cell phone records, and credit cards, all of which proved to be a dead end. The last text sent from Dee's phone was at 10.52 p.m. on Saturday, April 24th with her phone and Apple Watch going offline a few hours later in the early morning hours of April 25th. Since then, she hasn't made contact with anybody via email, phone, text, or social media. Her face hasn't popped up in any facial recognition searches, and there's no new bank or credit card activity. And it's that last one, the lack of bank activity, that Dee's brother Greg says is the most telling. He wonders how someone can go missing and not have access to funds, especially if you're like Dee, whom he matter-of-factly refers to as high-maintenance and as someone who wouldn't leave to go live in a tent somewhere. He elaborates in the Disappeared documentary, saying she would need money and a lot of it. So there's no way Dee would have left Dale her massive diamond wedding ring when she could have used it to generate cash. On top of that, investigators looked into Dee's state of mind in the days leading up to her disappearance. They questioned everyone she came into contact with and uncovered a theme. Dee was distraught yet determined to end her marriage to Dale once and for all. And there are three specific instances that highlight this. Number one, the Charlie Project reports Dee attended an eyelash extension appointment the day before her disappearance. And she was crying when she arrived, upset about a disagreement with Dale. The eyelash tech informed Dee the eyelashes wouldn't stick to her swollen eyes if she kept crying. And the two women took some time before the application process to help Dee calm down. Then Dee received a call from Dale during the appointment. The technician asked Dee if she would like to answer the phone, to which Dateline reports Dee responded, that's a big nope. When the eyelashes were finished, Dee scheduled a follow-up appointment before leaving. Dee was also expected to pick up a generator and a ring she purchased in the upcoming week. The fact that Dee made all of these plans for the future makes investigators skeptical of the story Dale's sharing. 
Because if Dee were planning on skipping town, why would she bother to put things on her calendar? Number two, Dee actually told her friend Amy about the big fight between her and Dale the day before her disappearance. And there's text evidence as shown in the disappeared documentary that proves what they were talking about. Here's what they had to say to each other. It seems Amy called Dee who texted the following in response. Quote, I can't be on the phone. I have been throwing up and hyperventilating. Worried for her friend, Amy fires back. You need to leave him. Are you okay? Do you need me to come over? To which Dee tells Amy, no, I have to make a change. My kids have all talked to me today. They can't stand to see me this way. The third and final interaction of note to investigators is a conversation Dee had with Raquel that same day as the text exchange. Here's what Raquel had to say about it in conversation with Dateline's Josh Mankiewicz. Quote, one of the last things my mom said to me was that she watches Dateline like every night and he could do something like that to me. Since Dee went missing, the Lenawee County Sheriff's Office has formed a task force with the assistance of the Michigan State Police, the Michigan Department of Natural Resources, and the FBI. Their goal is to find D and uncover what really happened to the mother of five. Every few months, more searches take place, and according to a recent court filing, more than 4,000 acres of land have been searched to date. They successfully unearthed D's car keys, but there's still no sign of D. Billy Little, the family's private investigator, seems to have had more luck in uncovering information. At least that's how it appears since authorities never really show their full hand so as not to spoil their investigation. But back to Billy and what he's found. He claims there's track marks from a piece of heavy farm equipment, something called a JCB loader. And these track marks show that it had been driven up to the front door of Dee and Dale's home on the same day of Dee's disappearance. If this is true, then I'm not sure why it wasn't mentioned to be on the property surveillance footage. They may not have had that angle, but it's worth mentioning to our listeners. Additionally, Billy alleges Dale talked to some friends about killing Dee a month prior to when she went missing. Billy continues saying, Dale supposedly said, quote, they'll never find her body, karma. She got what she had coming. With that being said, it's essential to note no charges have been filed in Dee's case. Dale is a person of interest and has therefore been interviewed multiple times by detectives on the case. However, he has yet to be named a suspect. Things could change, but as of this recording, those are the facts. Multiple resources report Dale has refused to speak publicly about Dee's disappearance and instead released a statement via his lawyer, Larry Leap. It reads as follows. Dale Warner misses his wife very much. His daughter, Angelina, who is 10 years old, misses her mom. Dale Warner had nothing to do with her disappearance, nor did anyone around him, or for the last year, there has been no evidence that connects him or the people close to him in Dee Warner's disappearance. He looks forward to hearing from his wife at some point and that she is alive and okay. Raquel and her siblings, on the other hand, don't believe their mother is coming back and are attempting to have her declared legally dead. They want to hold someone accountable for her death. And as the news outlet WXYZ puts it, this is just one step in a long legal road that could end with a wrongful death lawsuit. Deanne Warner is a mom, grandmother, sister, friend, and is desperately missed by those who knew and loved her. She's a 52-year-old Caucasian female with green eyes. She stands 5'4 and weighs 140 pounds. 
Her hair was brown with blonde highlights at the time she went missing. Anyone with information about the case is urged to contact the Lenawee County Sheriff's Office at 517-263-0524. Again, that is 517-263-0524. Or contact the Michigan State Police at 855-642-4847. One more time. That's 855-642-4847. That's where we'll leave this episode. Until the next episode, you know where to find us. At the Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com, and the Murder Diaries Pod Request at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and give us five stars. It helps us keep telling stories like these. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.